You are now listening to LFL Talk with Adri and Marcus. Hello and welcome to the week 10 episode of LFL Talk. I'm your host, Adri Mallows. Joining me this week, as always, is... Marcus Henson, how are you, sir? I'm very good, thank you. Excellent. How have you been since our last show, buddy? Oh, very busy. I've been to Essex. I've been over to, to Cardiff in Wales, all the way then back to Plymouth. <laughs> What's the reason for the road trips then, my friend? A uh, little bit of business, a little bit of pleasure, a little bit of just generally having some road trip fun. Well, it's a long way to go to get pleasure. <laughs> So, <laughs> with that, we're going to move on and let you know. Joining us later in the show, we have Colton Cole from LFL 360. So, where we would normally have the news next, we're actually going to save that till later in the show as Colton will be breaking some big news for us. Hi, this is Tony from Delicious in Hemel. If you like a bit of banter with your sandwiches, then come on down to us. We do baguettes, ciabattas, paninis. We can even discuss the LFL with you. So why don't you come and give us a try? And if you want some more details of our menu, see the links on the Legends Lounge page. It's now time for the game review. Now, I'm sure of you will know that Sunday was due to be a doubleheader for Father's Day, with the first game being Las Vegas Sin versus Seattle Mist, and then the second game of Las Vegas Sin versus Los Angeles Temptation. But unfortunately, due to the uh, Vegas Sin injuries, we didn't have a second game. So we just have the one game to recap for you, and that is the Seattle Mist versus Las Vegas Sin. Marcus, where do you want to start with this big game? Really big game. I mean, this was kind of a uh, this Father's Day sort of showdown and sort of really put a, a, a clinch into sort of who's going to, to control the West. Yeah, that's it. And it was a big game for Seattle, like you say, because if they were to, to win the game, then that would put them on the same record as Los Angeles 2-1, and one, meaning that third game between the two of those would be a, a massive game. But... Let's focus on, on this game itself. Now, Seattle's starting lineup, I did notice to start with, there was no Deanna Shaper-Cotter on their lineup. So we had Stevie Schnorr lining up at tight end and Lily Granston at running back. Yeah, and um, that was the first thing I noticed was that was a big shift because it takes the dynamic away. You've got this great running back and you're basically taking her and putting her in as a tight end. And actually, I think really a bit of an unsung hero, DSK, on that line. Because, you know, offensively and defensively, she puts in a lot of hours, actual sort of pitch time reps to actually sort of like just, it did feel like there was something missing. And of course, I think that kind of shown because uh, Lily Granstam, great sort of safety, run stopping, hitting safety. And it sort of like felt as she had come in playing running back. It, you noticed on that first drive, but maybe that fumble. Just that lack of familiarity playing running back might have caused it. The handoff between KK Matheny and Lily Granson there just didn't quite go according to plan. It was either Lily didn't close her arms quick enough or KK tried to put the ball in too hard. Um, either way, like you say, yeah, it led to uh, a fumble and then Vegas's first possession. And Cindy Cummings definitely looked a bit more mobile for me in that first drive. They just didn't seem to really be at the race as much. You know what, actually, this drive for me actually was quite important one for the likes of the Seattle defense because what the Seattle defense actually put so much pressure on Cindy on that first drive, they sort of destroyed any sort of pocket presence that she had. And for me, that sort of became like the staple throughout the game because it shifted how um, Las Vegas turned from, right, we've got this great quarterback, let's, let's have her in the pocket, just sort of like throwing like um, gunslinger mode. And because she just 
she had no time to throw because she just literally had Seattle blitzes in her face. Um, it basically turned around those, the entire rest of the game. You just saw Las Vegas trying to get rid of the ball as quickly as possible, running through tight end sweeps and all this different crazy stuff because they couldn't give Cindy the right time in the pocket. True, but it also helps that they've got a running back like Malloy that they can hand the ball off to try and take some of that pressure off Cindy. And we've seen the glimpses of her this year and... I really wish she got more snaps on the field uh, at running back because from what we've seen, particularly uh, in this game again as well, I mean, she is absolute lightning and, and she doesn't exactly go down easily either. No, I mean, absolutely. The one thing I noticed from her is it's just complete and utter speed. I mean, it's just like, wow, serious speed. And I'm sure we'll come on to that as we go over their sort of touchdowns. But if your game plan's going to be like, right, we need to get rid of the ball quickly and you've got a dependable running back, you use her more. You know, you see the likes of Stevie Schnorr, when she gets the ball, she'll get the ball like 20 times a game because, or, you know, Crystal Ferrari Harris, she will get the ball 20 times a game because, you know, you can get dependable yardage out of it. And if someone is, is playing hot, give them the ball. <laughs> Simple as. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, that's basically what Heather said last week, wasn't it? You know, she's got, if you've got an Adrian Peterson in the backfield, you just keep handing the ball. Why would you need to do much else but so yeah we say that they have this great talent at running back and and on their first drive they, they didn't use it very much and that resulted in them turning the ball over um after four downs and then giving Seattle that great field position to to start their second drive with when I saw the fumbled snap I clearly thought the first touchdown that uh, KK had actually overthrown Jessica Hopkins I was like what and then suddenly she's got the ball in her hands I'm like I thought that had gone out the end zone. Yeah, so that was the old alley-oop, wasn't it, almost? It was just the ball was just straight up in the air. Uh, Hopkins was just wide open in the end zone and, and a first touchdown for them. And then sort of setting the stage, really, starting putting the pressure then on Vegas. So didn't do very well on their first drive. They come out for their second drive. And then we have that bad snap that goes straight over Cummings' head. She tried to recover it. Schnorr knocks the ball loose and Seattle get a second touchdown, you know, 14-0 up within the first quarter. And it kind of looked quite, as I say, ominous from then on, really. It looked really bad. I must admit, I was sitting there almost resigning myself to to say, ah, oh, so this is going to happen, is it? It's not, not with a bang, but with a whimper sort of thing. Luckily for us, though, it was just the first quarter that things looked bad for Vegas. So, you know, come the second quarter, they did start to pick things up. And um, a couple of things from the, the second quarter, we had that amazing vertical catch by Bryn Render for another Seattle score, which I thought was just absolutely uh, amazing. But I believe that was after Malloy had her one play, just run it straight down the field, straight past everybody. Ah, the the burst of speed. It was so good. I mean, I honestly think you look at the speed of Malloy and she's got the quintessential sort of essence of sort of like a a Carmelita Jetta, sort of like fastest woman alive. She could give her pace to pace. I thought that was just like, boom, one cut and she was gone. Yeah, the speed down the field, she just took it to the edge as well. And no Seattle defenders were getting absolutely anywhere near her. And I think you were saying just while we were off air that if there was a candidate for Rookie of the Year starting to go into the hat, then we think that she would definitely be uh, right up there. Yeah, she's got me right up there. You know, she takes a presence on offense. She she puts the yardage, she puts points on the board. But not only that, I've seen her also put time in on the defense as well. She's very quick, which means that she's great as a reactionary player on defense to just suddenly plug up a gap. Possibly, there's a couple of times when you saw Stevie Snore she was barreling down and suddenly you just see this flash going to hit her. As far as football goes, you know, she's got the perfect sort of physical like, build to just be a perfect sort of completing that speed back. Absolutely. I think 
she's definitely one to watch for the future. I'm just going to come back to Seattle now. Bryn Render's probably had a shaky couple of first games, you would say, um, to start the season off with. But like KK, she's obviously learning a new playbook. And, you know, she really showed how great a receiver she is this week. As I say that that vertical catch she had just kind of out of nowhere, really, that she uh, managed to come down with that touchdown catch. You know, it's so simple as well. It's just a post pattern over the top. Safety is a little late to react to it. Bryn is, I mean, she's what, 5'10"? So she's a tall girl. 5'10", 5'11", yeah. You know, so therefore, I mean, she, she's got a great height advantage. You'd probably give her a good sort of, you know, couple of feet on a vertical leap as well. I mean, it gives KK such a wide sort of, angle to sort of throw that ball she's not having to sort of like sort of pinpoint it she can sort of put it up there and of course she's still got that connection with Bryn from the good old days that's the combination that Seattle just haven't ever had that one outstanding quarterback and a receiver that that she's completely in time with from the second quarter almost Vegas definitely started to build the momentum didn't they really started to to come back into the game and at one point the score was 21-20 as well I think it was in the third quarter it looked as though it was going to go all the way, but then we start to see the Seattle playbook open up. We see a couple of wide receiver option passes. One went to Danica Brace, didn't it? Which was quite a nice pass, about sort of 10, 15 yards. There was the drop by Hopkins. Come on now to sort of later on in the fourth quarter. And the other receiver I want to talk about is Cynthia Schmidt. Known for her hands normally, but where were they in the fourth quarter when they were needed for wide open, uh, completely blitz past uh, Megan Hansen. In fact, it happened on the previous play as well. Both wide receivers, same route, straight past Megan Hansen. Not quite sure what she was doing at, at corner again because we knew uh, LaShonda Fowler came in uh, in the previous game and was doing a great job. But Cynthia, she had the touchdown right there, right there in her hands, right there, Marcus. But it just went straight through. Absolutely. But again, LaShonda Fowler is another person who, along with DSK, I don't think I saw on the actual the Seattle sideline maybe not being able to make the trip or, or what injured, we're not sure. But like you said, it was such a close game. For me, really condensing up the halves into sort of just bite-sized chunks. For me, the keys to this game in the second half, Seattle, they re-established the power run game. They moved some people around. They brought in brought in some rookies. I think that number 13 I hadn't seen before, they moved her because you normally got Megan Hansen. They put her as the tight end so that way they could re-establish Schnorr as the running game. It opened up the play action for KK and that's what helped to just keep that offense ticking over. For me, Las Vegas, the speedy running plays really worked. You know, they abused the perimeters. Of, of Seattle and the somewhat weakness that they could exploit, especially Dominique Malloy again, that second half run where she uses such a smart play. She's not down, you know, she's tackled, but on top of the defender, she comes in, she knows she's not being tackled, she keeps playing to the whistle and that's what I like. But for me, there wasn't enough of a run pass balance. There was too many stupid penalties if you're, if you're Las Vegas and these just really need to be shored up along with, um, I don't know if you saw it, the Stevie Schnorr touchdown where she broke Four tackles. Yeah, just big run, yeah. Absolutely leveled it out, I'm sure. When you guys get to see the game yourself, you won't believe it. I, you know what? I think I've got a little um, little web clip that might be interesting for the girls of Las Vegas, Sim, which is it's just an ABC guide, a 14-step guide on how to tackle. I don't know if that might be useful for you guys. Uh, we could send that over to you if you need it. But that was woeful it was so bad and that's again it's just letting them down I feel that Las Vegas stupid penalties stupid attempts to tackle they just need to toughen up that mentality and on the note of Stevie Schnorr uh, here is what she had to say in her post-game interview Um, we had a really good game any game that we come out with a W is awesome for us 
Um, we had some really great plays where our team looked solid, and we, you know, we had some plays where we took them off. Um, and those are things that we go forward with now. I mean, we get to be happy with this, move on with the W, and know that we're one step closer uh, to that Cup final. But you know, we do have a lot of things that we need to get straight before that. The final score in the game then was Seattle 34, Las Vegas 26. And one final, I just really want to reiterate what Marcus said there. I think the big thing for Vegas is, as they're, especially as they're a young team, if they can cut out those mistakes and get some of the fundamentals coached in there, then they should be able to put up a fight against Seattle and, uh, and Los Angeles in the last couple of games. Otherwise, for me, I still think it's Seattle's to lose. I don't know how you feel about this, but given the games they played, the first game against LA, they had enough chances where they should have won. They did beat LA in the second game. Um, this game against Vegas, it started off looking like there wasn't a competition at all. So Seattle should be going all the way, but I guess we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, I mean, for me, I'm, I am loving the West because you know what? The West, I can watch a, a Western Conference game and I don't know who's going to win. And I love it. I absolutely love it. Yeah, and the only thing we get in the East with that is the Atlanta-Chicago. But at this point, Atlanta still haven't managed to quite beat Chicago yet. So... You know, we'll we'll see what happens there. We should. <laughs> it's is it a rivalry? Isn't it a rivalry? Should we start staring the pot after some of Heather's comments last week? Would would you? <laughs> that's it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's it. Keep staring. We know what Heather said. You know that it isn't a real rivalry and how they're dirty players. Love to know what Coach Robinson thinks of that. Maybe you'll get in touch with us and let us know. Remember. Hey guys, if you want to get a hold of Audrey or Marcus, send them an email at ballhawksnest at gmail And with that, we move on. I just want to be given the chance. You were the pioneers that built women's football. The opportunity to succeed. Or even to fail. You are the league of their own. You ain't got no chance to redeem yourself. This is it! The LFL on Fuse. Saturdays, starting April 18th. This is Lauren Ziegler with the Atlanta Steam, and you're listening to the LFL Talk with Adrian Marcus. The world's fastest-growing sport arrives to YouTube. Legends Football League. Break their confidence. Keep breaking their confidence. They've got nothing. They want to brawl. They don't want to play football. Intensity. Beauty. Subscribe to this channel and gain access into locker rooms. Inside the huddle. Get to know your favorite players. The one thing I want to do is just make everyone happy. Give 100%. And fully games in high definition. Subscribe and never miss out on LFL Action. Here is the news. Please join me in welcoming LFL 360's Deputy Editor, Colton Cole. Welcome to the show, Colton. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. It's a pleasure to be here. Hello there, Audrey and Marcus. Uh, it's great to have you on, sir. Thank thanks, you mate. for filling in for us in, in place of the player guest this week. I'm sure our, our audience won't be disappointed. Certainly. I'm sure uh, they'd rather see uh, uh, some pictures of players and, and hear from them, but... Uh, but I'll certainly fill in this week and do my best. <laughs> so 
as you mentioned there, you're the deputy editor for LFL360, so the, the news website for the league, but you're also part of the game day crew. So I was wondering if you might be able to give our listeners a, an insight into what that game day experience is like for you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, game day, this is my first season with the league. I um, had reached out to Mitch personal level in, uh, in December and got brought on, helped out with LFL360 since December, and then joined the game day crew. Help out with Mitch and a lot of operations uh, sides of things. Uh, but yeah, the game day, it's a, uh, it's definitely about a six hour day to say, you know, on a short side, you know, we're up early in the morning, anywhere from 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. We're at the arena. Uh, you know, first thing we do is kind of split up in our little groups. We've got our LFL films doing green screen interviews. We have, uh, myself and we've got another uh, couple guys that help out getting all the jerseys ready, making sure we've got the roster set, which players are are going to be playing. Um, and then we've got uh, another crew making sure the final touches with the stadium are, are going with having banners in place, the field, uh, you know, set. And uh, it's definitely a long day. Um, very filled once the players get there. It's even a long day for them. They get a little time to rest in between and, and, you know, look at um, their playbooks and, and get something neat during the day. But it's definitely a long day. But it's exciting when the day's over. And once the game's over, there's still about two and a half hours left of, you know, production side getting things you know packed up and, and finished and completed for the day so certainly a long day yeah did you say 15 hours there is it sort of a typical game day yeah sometimes you know we're there from uh 6 to 8 a.m until at times um 1 a.m we leave the arena so it can be a uh easily a 16 hour day well yeah i think a lot of people might not necessarily appreciate all the things you mentioned there that actually go into uh, the production of an lfl game day and certainly may not realize how long at the arena the players have to spend there during the day it must be quite intense yeah it is we get a lot of help you know from uh production assistants that come out and uh help for the day and and you know give us a few hours here and there so it's a great uh great team effort and uh you know happy to to be a part of it we've just had a game day actually just wanted to get your thoughts as well we've had our game review just now of uh, seattle versus las vegas but what did you make of the game itself colton yeah seattle and las vegas it turned out to be a close game it was definitely a little bit different than what i had expected going in in las vegas's second game of the year and their first game against la they really threw the ball pretty well uh cindy cummings was able to make some big plays unfortunately she only um completed five of 15 passes uh, two of them were touchdowns, but it just seemed like some of the timing was off. There were some big drops by her receivers. Um, it just wasn't uh, the regular passing attack that we've seen from Vegas in the first game this year. And then last year, you know, she had a really good uh, passing attack in their, their four games last year. So it was just uh, kind of odd to see that, uh, you know, they definitely had an off day there. But uh, Seattle had a very balanced offense. They played, you know, good enough on defense, made some mistakes. But uh, Stevie Schnorr. She had uh, over 80 all-purpose yards, uh, really ran the ball well and had a few nice catches. And K.K. Matheny uh, did very well also uh, passing the ball and uh, distributing. I think she was about 9 for 19 um, with three touchdown passes. So it was a good day for her. But, uh, yeah, close game at the end. Vegas had a chance to come back and win the game. Um, they had an onside point attempt. They would have got that. They would have about a minute left uh, to try to go down and score and make the two-point uh conversion taking overtime so I guess not really a chance to win the game but a, a chance to get the ball back and go down and uh, give a chance for overtime but definitely a good game obviously there was a double header set up and uh, due to some of the injuries and just you know the beating they took in that game we postponed the second game and that'll be announced at a later date so 
Uh, but yeah, very good game and um, exciting to be good on TV. Yeah, it certainly looked it as well. And and you mentioned there some of the, the big drops and uncharacteristic drops, um, which we mentioned as well from Cynthia Schmidt. She seemed to have a game to forget. Yes, she sure did. I think she had one catch, uh, but there was one big play that she dropped that she's definitely going to be kicking herself for. And then she also had a fumble late in the game on a drive that uh, um, that fumble it, ball got turned over to Seattle, which would have been huge for them if they would have converted on that drive. I could have been looking at a tie going into a minute left in the game and possibly uh, them having a chance to do it outside to go down and win the game. So that fumble was very costly for the Sins offense. We're going to come on now to the big announcement from the league this week, and that is with regards to the playoff games and also the, the Legends Cup itself. So, going to pass this back to yourself now Colton if that's okay just to advise our listeners um where the conference games will be played and, and what the schedule is like yeah so we found out the big news yesterday we announced that on the commissioner's corner we have our date set in stone um not the times yet but uh, we've got the date set in stone for our legends cup and the uh, playoff the conference playoffs so the Original schedule this season, the last game of the year is on August 15th. It's a Saturday. It's played in Chicago. Chicago is going to be taking on on Atlanta. That game has been canceled, and in place of that, we're going to have the uh, Eastern and Western Conference uh, champion or, um, championship playoff game there in Chicago at Toyota Park. Great, great stadium. It's a MLS soccer field uh, for the Chicago Fire. It's going to be a you know big atmosphere, great atmosphere with a lot of fans and. And uh, we're not sure which matchup will be first, but uh, we, we know in the East we're going to have Atlanta and Chicago. So that last game of the year was canceled due to the, you know the reason of injuries. You have injuries in a big game at the end of the season, and Atlanta really doesn't have a chance to prove anything in that game, other than you know bragging rights are not going to win the regular season conference. It would be kind of an upsetting game for the next week to have some big players out. So the league made the decision just to have the conference championships that day, and then we'll see who's in that Western Conference uh, that playoff game. Um, when the season wraps up, but uh, then we also have the Legends Cup announcement uh, that's going to be played in Seattle, the Showware Center in Kent, the stadium that the Seattle Mist always pack. It's always a great atmosphere there. So that game will be played the 23rd. That's a Sunday, so August 23rd on Sunday, and uh, and that'll be you know an expected great matchup between whichever teams can make it. So you know Seattle definitely has a chance to play. That's something they always talk about in the NFL and and other leagues is, is, you know, when they get to play, uh, you know, Super Bowl at their home stadium. And that's something that Seattle has a chance to do this year is play the Legends Cup there in Seattle. So it's pretty exciting for them and for all the teams that travel and play in that uh, that great stadium. That's it. And just being in Seattle itself, I mean, we know how great the fans are, like you say, for both the LFL and for the NFL as well. Any game that's going to be played, there's going to be an amazing atmosphere in, in that arena as well. Uh, yeah, it's just going to be fantastic for the fans, both uh, those that are there live and also for the sort of television audiences around the world. Um, I'm just going to bring in Marcus now because I think he has a question or two for you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, wow, great news there. Um, I think that is probably one of the best choices, got one of the best fan bases. And that actually leads me perfectly onto my question. Um You've done a lot of game days, I assume, this year. Have you ever found one venue that you really enjoyed being at, like one game this year that you've loved? Yeah, and that's uh, that's Seattle. We had one game in Seattle, the uh, Seattle-LA game, uh, the first game between them two. And that was my first time ever being at that stadium. And, uh, you know, from a production side, it's everything's real close, real easy to work with there. And they had the place packed. Being a Green Bay Packer fan, I wasn't... Uh, too thrilled to see some of the uh, the Seattle fans there, but uh, and see actually some of the you know, Seahawks football players 
But no, it's a great, uh, great environment. And that, I would say, uh, second that would probably be Omaha. They had uh, the first game, they had that very well packed, another small stadium. I think they hold about 4,000 people there, which is a great uh, fit for that Omaha team. And um, they get a lot of fans all the time. Uh, but it was really cool to be in the Coliseum this year as well. So I would have to say uh, the Coliseum was up there. That was pretty, pretty neat to be, you know, setting up, you know, and be there for 16 hours all day, setting up the game. And I'm seeing, you know, the locker rooms where a lot of great college football greats and NFL greats, Hall of Famers have played. So it was really neat. And I'm sure the players thought it was just as cool as well. Absolutely. And we've, we've actually, me and Andrew had a discussion, a long discussion. You mentioned the Coliseum there, which gives me a lovely sort of um, comparative, which is we've discussed a lot about grass versus indoor what's your view on it is indoor best or is it out in the on the grass turf you know preferably for setting up and everything like that on the production side i would have to say that it's a little easier for us to work in the smaller arenas like the indoor stadiums um to get everything ready it can just be kind of it's a lot more of a uh, a process you know with a larger stadium larger field and we're in like a kind of a corner to set it up a good atmosphere for the fans there but i would say you know, from a player's perspective, I think, you know, we, we talked to a lot of the girls about this. Some of the girls like the indoors because they know where the out of bounds is, but I would say some of the running backs, um, you know, kind of like having that open field and the out of bounds and everything. But, uh, I think that some of the players like the, uh, grass a little better as far as, uh, taking hits, uh, on the, on the grass versus on the AstroTurf. The turf can be, uh, you know, kind of, kind of not forgiving with a lot of the, the burns that some of the players might receive, but uh, definitely that's a great question with uh, what's better, and um, really don't have a perfect answer for it. But uh, production side, I would rather be in an indoor stadium personally. And I'm just going to finish up with uh, another tricky question, just to see if you'll put your cards on the table or not. And that is, who do you think will make it to the Legends Cup this year? That's a great question. And so far, you know, in the Eastern Conference. We haven't, we've, we've seen a talented Atlanta team. They've got all the pieces to, you know, argue that they, they might be the best team in the East, but they just haven't proved it yet. And I think that Chicago, you know, has a lot to, lot they're playing for, just like Atlanta. They've got, um, their third championship they're going for in a row. They've got all the pieces as well. They've got one of the best running backs that's ever played in the league and they have a stacked defense. I mean, that defensive line and even the, you know, secondary is just incredible. So, Personally, I, I think that it will be a, a great game in that Eastern Conference playoff, but I think that Chicago edges Atlanta. And then in the West, you know, it's kind of hard to see. I think that the winner of the July 3rd game will probably be the one that take the momentum through the rest of the season and, and that confidence and, uh, and, and win that. That game's got uh, the feature between uh, the Seattle Mist and Los Angeles Temptation there on the third. But I, I think that... Uh, Seattle might have enough to beat them. I, I really think that Seattle has all the pieces, and if they can keep uh, keep the injuries, you know, away, I think that they could end up uh, going to the Legends Cup. So my prediction, you know, long story short, would probably be Seattle and Chicago. It's good to hear another voice of reason because Marcus will back me up, and that's what I said at the start of the year as well, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's... Uh... It's definitely looking very good prediction. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll see. But, uh, on behalf of myself and Marcus and all of our listeners, Carl, I would like to thank you very much for coming on the show today. Absolutely. I, it was a pleasure, like I said, and uh, I'm glad to join you guys. And you guys do an awesome show. And 
the fans really love it. So I'm glad of uh, glad for everything you guys put together. Thank you very much for the the feedback. Thank you. Yeah, it's always great to hear that, and hopefully the fans are indeed uh, enjoying it. And we'll look forward to speaking to you later in the year. Awesome. Take care, guys. Spanhead Productions are a small independent sound recording company based in rural Hertfordshire. We specialise in creating content for all your podcasting needs, whether it be field recordings, fox pops, or capturing the atmosphere during social events. Editing is a very time-consuming job, so Spanhead Productions are on hand to take away some of the burden for you. Just advise us on how you'd like your content to sound, and we will do the rest. We can even help you design and manage a website for your podcast too. Visit us now, spanheadproductions.com. Weebly.com. That's spamheadproductions.weebly.com. Well, that wraps it up for another week. Firstly, I would like to thank our guest, Colton Cole of LFL360.com. Also, my co host, Marcus Henson, our producer, Mark Taylor from Spamhead Productions. Remember, hey guys, if you want to get a hold of Audrey or Marcus, send them an email at ballhawksnest at gmail.com. Finally, don't forget our shows are published weekly on lfl360.com. We go out on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, and on more recent shows are rebroadcast on the Awake Radio Network. So until next time, football fans, stay safe, take care, and thanks for stopping by. 